Hello everyone, Kevin Gentry here again. This is our second installment of the Marty Kagan interview where we discuss being a first-time head of product. If you haven't heard the first one yet, that's okay, you're in luck. Just scroll back in the feed to the episode earlier and listen to the first half. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your network if you enjoy the content. And without further ado, here is part two of our discussion with Marty Kagan about being a first-time head of product. Welcome to Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. One of the things that I I like that I'm hearing is, and I've heard this from a lot of good leaders, is this idea they're responsible for their entire team. And it doesn't matter if it, oh, you know, I, I think we've all worked with leaders who aren't great at being leaders who defer blame, they pass it on down the chain or act aloof or whatever it is. But I think good leaders take responsibility for anything that happens on their team. And so if you have someone who's not performing, ultimately that's a reflection on you as a leader, regardless of whether or not you hired or inherited them. And so you, you need to do something to make that right. Um, but I, I think the approach too of, Going, you know, the extra distance to help someone find a new role um, is good for morale. And I think it also sets the expectation on the team that, you know, we're still a team. You have to meet a certain bar to play on the team, but we're not going to leave you high and dry. This isn't like some type of cutthroat, you know, situation where we want to help each other out as much as possible. So I think let's talk about one of those things that really can help guide coaching. Um, you know, we have different variations of this, your vision strategy, your strategy stack, your product pillars, what, what have you. I, I think some of the th- some of the times when you're joining as a new head of product, there's some fundamental things missing that the product leader can help craft and guide and, and put in place so that it, it helps the individuals perform better at their job, better way to prioritize if you know where we're going, right? If you don't know where we're going, yeah, of course, you're not going to be as confident um, uh, as possible. So, so let's, I want to talk, shift the conversation a little bit to like company uh, vision, company mission. Um, and, and, you know, you're joining in as a partner with your CEO who has sometimes a strict vision. Sometimes that can manifest as a product vision and it's more specific and tactical in product space. Sometimes um, they don't have a vision or they don't quite know how to articulate it or put it in a way that we can, you know, uh, uh, motivate a company to, to go and execute and pursue. And so what is your, like, what have you experienced work really well uh, when there's this ambiguity around this strategy vision stack missing from uh, uh, leadership? Yeah. Well, I was saying before, there's sort of those two blocks of work. And I said, your first order of business is coaching and staffing. In other words, most urgent, because everything collapses if you don't do this, is you have to get your people to report to you to competence. But then you have to give them good work to do. And so that's the strategic context I was talking about. And it's just like you described. If it's an existing company, there's probably some of that that exists and lots of it that doesn't, Um, especially if they've hired you because they really haven't done products seriously before. So you need to do that. You need to provide that. Um, That is, uh, you know, company mission is usually 
so simple that everybody has a mission statement. There, there really isn't such thing as company vision. It's more a product vision. It gets business strategy, yes. Business objectives, yes. But product vision is kind of how we're going to do that. And, and it's like you said, a lot of co-founders, a lot of CEOs feel very strongly about that. And we want them to feel strongly about that. Realize they are selling the product vision probably every day to investors, to prospective customers, to prospective employees, every day. So if they don't feel real ownership of that product vision, that's a problem. But that doesn't mean they know how to create one. (laughs) That's probably why they brought you on is to help create them. So there's a little bit of art and nuance here to create the vision while at the same time, you want the outcome to be that the CEO feels real ownership of that. So that's important, but we do that. Uh, there are some founders that are just wonderful at product vision. And so, and it's usually not a problem when in that case, unless and until they leave, if they leave, then we often have a vacuum when it comes to that. But the product vision is not that bad because it's a one-time thing really once every several years where most of your time as a leader is going to go is product strategy. And that's that takes real time and effort. And it takes, um, and it, by the way, it's a great way for that head of product to come up to speed on everything important. Because product strategy really does, it's built on knowing what's going on in the data, in the customer interactions, in the current product, in the sales organization and the financial side, you've got all of these parts feeding up to you. And your job is to come up with a product strategy to really decide what insights you're going to double down on to achieve the company objectives. So product strategy is what consumes, you know, the head of product most of their time. And when when you talk about the company objectives, like let's say that there is a mission uh, and, and a vision or some conglomerate of this, a purpose or what have you. Uh, and, and there's some business level objectives, right? Maybe the communicated to the board of growth or, you know, slow growth or whatever that is, right? It's just, this is what we expect. Yeah. Um, what if there isn't like a specific company objective? And what models have you seen work well? Like one objective, multiple KRs, couple different ones, like what kind of combination really works? Well, I like when they use OKRs at the company level, but I but a lot of companies don't, and it's really not important because it's the same stuff anyway. Um, there are inevitably the board, I mean, unless we're talking a huge company when you have all these different divisions and stuff like that, but in most size companies, small, medium for sure, the board will set annual objectives for the company. And it's usually a small number. You know, there's usually a growth related objective. There's a profitability related objective. There's a retention related, you know, stuff like that. So maybe there's two, three, four objectives. They're usually prioritized and that's totally normal. They're, they're remarkably common across companies. Um, It's not a big secret. You have to build a sustainable business, right? You have to get ready for your next rounds of funding, all these things that we deal with. The harder question isn't that. The harder question is, so how are you going to make that happen? Because that's product. How are you going to make it happen? And that's product vision, especially product strategy. So that's where that fits in. And of course, in the occasional situation where you really don't have that stuff coming from the CEO, it's not that hard to point out, we need this. 
But I, honestly, I'm trying as I speak, I'm trying to think of the last time I saw that and, uh, not being there. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a long time. Everybody's got that, basically. I have a follow-up question. Um, how do you like build buy-in uh, for a strategy coming in as a new leader um, and then trying to connect those dots? Like you said, usually the CEO, leadership, the board have some sense of where we want to go. And usually some metrics, like you mentioned, growth, retention, revenue, whatever they might be. Um, but we, we have to build a path there. And that's where product comes in. Um, one of the things I've noticed is uh, conceptually, leadership usually is very comfortable with the head of product coming in and helping define this. But in practice, a lot of times executives, they have ideas in their mind about what some of these stepping stones should be, what some of these projects that seem exciting are. And sometimes some of those projects make sense to have in your strategy, and sometimes they don't. I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on getting buy-in for a strategy where often you're not going to agree on every single stepping stone initially, how you build some of that buy-in with, with the executive team and the CEO. Yeah. Well, there's kind of two levels to that. The first level is make sure, you know, because if the executive team is handing down roadmaps, then this you've got a bigger issue. This is a transformation that needs to happen before you have a chance of really succeeding. But let's say they're not doing that, but they still have in mind some like, yeah, we're thinking we need to do this first, which might in fact be the right, you know, or a very good strategy. But the real question is you have to make sure that's the case. Uh, Even if, and if it's not, you know, you have to have the evidence to show them what you do think it should be. My, uh, and of course, there's lots of techniques for this. What I recommend is actually uh, a written narrative, sort of the Amazon six-pager to describe the argument for the product strategy. So, and again, like I said, this is a great way for the head of product to come up to speed. But what this does is it sort of looks at the current situation. It looks at the current data, looks at the evidence. You know, there's a lot of things you could do, a lot of opportunities everywhere, but the the product strategy has to choose some and they have to choose ones that are high leverage. So you, you basically propose which ones, you give your argument, you lay out the data and um, this, in this written narrative, these are basically typically six or so pages uh, of your evidence. I like, even if your company is not the kind that like, like Amazon that likes to read them, if I tell the head of product, you should do that because that will prepare you with the right argument. If after you do that and you've reviewed it with people who know product. If you, once you've done that and you then want to do a PowerPoint that says, this is the recommendations, fine, because you'll at least be able to defend it adequately. But, um, but I'm, I'm a fan of that as a way to capture the product strategy. And also I love that you can show that to anybody in the company. That's like, so let's say it's the VP of sales that says, well, I was really hoping you were going to do this instead. Right. They, you can say, well, here's the reasoning. Here's the argument. It's not random. I'm being very transparent here. Here's the data. Here's the reasoning. Take a look at it. If you see a flaw in the argument, let's talk. But this is why we think this will get the most out of our engineering investment. And so 
if you do that, if you're transparent, if you're very upfront, you want to make sure, you know, we, this, this refers to the trust we talked about earlier. You don't want any of these other stakeholders thinking, you know, you've got your own agenda or you're doing whatever. You want them to understand that you're just trying to look at the evidence, make the best decisions for the company you can. And most of the time, they're pretty like, wow, that makes sense. And yeah. And of course, very often, they've contributed data to that. There's two pieces of that I really like. One is you you need to make sure you have evidence. And the written narrative is a good way to help structure your thoughts. Um, But it's easy to come in and not put together enough evidence, I think, because you're in 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 the trenches and you're doing the work, but you have to do the work to get the evidence together in a way that is persuasive. Uh, the other piece that I like that you mentioned, and it's approach that I've been taking is um, bring them along for the journey to an extent, include them in some of some of that foundational work. So that they're a part of the, the structure that works both for executives as well as key partners, you know, VP of sales for some companies that might be, or, or VP of partnerships, depending on the type of business you're in. Exactly. Um, Going back to almost like the first 90 days concept, this 100 days, for a first time head of product, what is the most important thing in this role you should focus on doing really well? Well, honestly, I'm a big believer that unless you build a strong team, essentially, you're just limited to what you personally can do. So I would say the most important thing is to coach and develop your people to competence. The other thing I'd say is if you do that, it's amazing the results. <laughs> Even if you don't do a lot of other stuff, those people will do good work. That's honestly, that's a great point. Um, I, I guess I have a sort of a tangential question, but in this, I think for a much larger company, this may not be the case, but for smaller to medium-sized companies, um, do you think how much should you be willing to delegate to your individual contributors on your team versus is there any time where you as a head of product should be helping lean in, rolling up your sleeves and, and getting your hands dirty? Um, kind of curious if you feel, you know, there's maybe maybe a point where you shouldn't be digging into the weeds quite as much, or if there are some circumstances where it makes sense for you to be kind of on the front lines with, with some of your ICs. Well, I mean, the, the general heuristic is if they're not yet competent at their job, then you have to hand, be hands-on. So it's not unusual for a new head of product. Let's say they inherit an organization. We're talking a small or medium company. Let's say you've got 15 product managers that you just inherited that you as that new head of product are actively covering for two, three, four of those people. Because they are not there. Now, you're probably coaching them not just weekly, but probably even daily. Because unless you get them to competence, you're like, I'm going to be working crazy hours indefinitely. So you, this is true. Now, once they reach competence, that's different. Now you can, when you say delegate, I would call it empower to them to do their job. So you're saying, look, okay, you cover that team. I'm going to still have one-on-one coaching. We'll talk about giving feedback and you'll share with me the things that you're struggling with and want help with and where I can help. But, um, but that's, I mean, that's the foundation. So you are uh, hand, but you're, I should also say you're hands-on on the things that the leader is responsible for that product strategy, for example, that's, that, in a way, is what you're hands-on with all the time. And you're executing on that product strategy via 
the teams. Love that. Well, so I'm going to ask you one more question and then we'll, we'll do some plugs. We'll, we'll uh, kind of wrap things up. Usually what we do here, Marty, is uh, we assign homework to our listeners. So like, what is one thing you can take from this conversation and apply uh, in a tangible way in the next week as you're listening to this? So um, the last question that I'll leave you with here is, you know, Zach and I were really big and, and most of our listeners are really big on empowered product teams. We really believe and have seen that firsthand and believe in bringing that growth to companies that need it and, and make a difference. Right. And, and so I think part of that is understanding how to keep that a focus. And so have you seen experiences or have you experienced uh, times with other product leaders that have brought empowered product teams to companies and it failed? Um, and if so, why? Well, more generally, have I seen companies try to transform to empowered teams and fail? So many times. In fact, that's the, ma- that's the, the common case. That really is. Uh, companies yeah. that succeed in transforming are the exceptions, not the rule. Now, to me, I, there is some very clear explanations for why they fail. Um, in fact, I published an article, and it's also in the book Empowered, which is Keys to Successful Transformation. If these things don't happen, it almost always fails. So no question, there are lots of reasons it fails. It's also worth pointing out that sometimes, and this is really frustrating. I mean, this really gets me, and I hate to admit what I'm about to say, but there are more than a few companies that were awesome. I mean, literally consistently awesome. And then over the next few years, they just went right downhill to the point where they're, you know, now they're at risk. And what the heck happened? And usually what happens is that they, when they're doing well, growth stage, they get attract a lot of money. And sometimes when you bring in that money, the board believes you should bring in some more experienced leaders. And don't get me wrong, experienced leaders are great as long as they have the right kind of experience. (laughs) Unfortunately, most of the experienced leaders, they're not like coming from Amazon. They're not coming from Netflix. They're like, yeah, they worked at Oracle. They worked at SAP. And this is not what you want. And so I have seen companies when they bring those people in, they just, they do what they know. They're like, no, here's how we do it. Here's how we do it. And they just in, they just bring with them the practices from Oracle and SAP or wherever, and the company consistently goes downhill. And that is, um, that is incredibly frustrating. So I, I try, partly what's going on too is when companies grow, you know, it's hard to grow, but fundamentally, there are two ways to grow. You can grow through process and you can, or you can grow through your leaders. The good companies consistently, in my, what I can see, the good companies all grow through their leaders. The bad places grow through process. And this is not unrelated to what I just described, because that's kind of what SAP people will tell you and Oracle people will tell you and banks will tell you, you know, that, oh, yeah, that's how we grow. We institute these processes because we're big now. Oh, my gosh. I mean, in fact, Amazon's such a great example because they fight that every day. They literally call it 
we don't want to become a day two company. We want to stay at always day one. They're so scared. And so many of the things they do with single-threaded leaders and with empowered teams in order, are, are meant to fight that. They're very scared about process. They're just, they're right. Yeah. I think the key takeaway is process should be a tool that we apply in the right context. It, it shouldn't be something we do for the sake of it. Or because we feel like in order to be big and successful, we now have to start doing these things. Um, so I, I think that's a that's a great note maybe to wrap on. Yeah. Uh, uh, what? Let's yeah. Let's give some homework, guys. Zach. So um, and Marty, feel free. Uh, we'll go around the horn here. But uh, I think my homework and assignment here would just be. Uh, I, I really think you know. I encourage you guys to to check out uh, Marty's book, Empowered, and, and look at this rubric for competency as the first time I had a product. Um, I know, uh, Reforge has another one of these Ravi Mehta has that, like there's, there's a whole bunch of examples of this out there. Um, uh, so put together that assessment and I, I make some hard decisions up front and, and, and adjust for competency and, and have those hard conversations with your employees. Um, so that, that would be my homework, Zach, what do you got? Yeah, my homework would be for a first-time product leader or someone who's looking to step into the job, write up a brief document um, with your your plan for the first 100 days um, and use the buckets I think Marty talked about for what's your plan for getting the team to competence, what rubric do you use to identify that so that you can make sure you're keeping on track, and then also what's your plan for introducing the product strategy based on the context of the company you're at, and make sure to follow through on it, check in on it you know, every, every single week to, to track your progress. Um, that would be my homework. And I would say, if you're not a product leader yet, but you're looking to make a foray into it, do it for the team you're currently on. Even if you're not the VP of product, it's a great exercise to kind of get a sense for the strategic context of whatever organization you're currently working in. All right, Marty, bring us home. What homework do you have for us? Yeah, well, I just like that, uh, especially Zach's summary there. I was, cause I tell if you if you raise the bar on your people so that everybody's at competence and you put in place a solid product strategy, it is going to be really hard not to be appreciated at that company. You know, you're off to a very good start in only a quarter. So um, that I, I think it's worth it. It, it. There's no question that's going to be a hard three months for you. <laughs> That's a lot of work in three months, right? Um, so no question, but that's we talked at the beginning about how that first three months often sets the tone for your tenure at that company. So you do those two things, you're definitely ahead of the game. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Marty. Um, where can our listeners find your stuff? Sure, svpg.com. Cool. I'll go ahead and plug Marty's books for him and his uh, <laughs> svpg.com website again. I, it's been super valuable to me, both when I was an individual contributor, product manager, and getting into management and now a head of product role. So um, definitely check it out. Check out Inspired and Empowered. They're both great reads. And uh, just wanted to say thanks again, Marty. It's been great having you on the podcast, and it's been a lot of fun talking to you. Yeah. Likewise, we can't can't thank you enough, Marty. Yeah, I think uh, I use your books as is my product bible. So I've listened to it. I'm an audiobook guy, so I'll listen to that frequently. So it's very strange hearing your voice and talking to you <laughs> outside of hearing it for for years uh, now. So um, thank you so much for uh, just taking the time, and and uh, really appreciate you. Well, thanks for inviting me. I hope uh, people consider it useful. 
Uh, looks like we finished up our coffee, so uh, go level up. This has been Product Coffee with Kevin Gentry, Zach LaGreca, and our special guest, Marty Kagan. Produced and engineered by me, Kevin Gentry. Through our podcast partner, Anchor, you can now record a voice message and send us ideas or topics to cover, and who knows, we might end up playing it on the show. You can also become a supporter of Product Coffee by contributing a monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes. Find, follow, and share us on LinkedIn and on Instagram. The links to both of these are in the description of this episode. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Product Coffee on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.